Welcome to week five of Without Measure. We have been walking through the spirit texts in the book of John. So just kind of going through every time that the spirit is mentioned in the book of John to try to gain a perspective on uh, the Holy Spirit from John's point of view. And uh, hopefully you've been learning. And today is a pretty interesting text uh, because John, uh, in his gospel, through the words of Jesus, is going to show us that the Word and the Spirit are forever tied together. Word and Spirit are forever tied together. And uh, specifically, the words of Christ and the Spirit of God are tied together. So let's go to John chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 63 and read uh, to 69. It says, it is, this is Jesus speaking, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. And it was, who, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words. You've got words, Jesus. (laughs) You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, let's give this text a little bit of context, okay? This passage is actually the climax of a really long, I mean, we're talking 70 verses, all right? That's a long chapter in the Bible. It's uh, the climax, this statement is the climax of this very long chapter, and it's it's kind of a sad chapter. It starts out on a really big high and then ends kind of, kind of low, So Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 6, this is where he feeds the 5,000, which is a big moment, all right? So there's 5,000 people. Jesus takes two fish and five barley loaves, and he feeds the thousands with it. And the crowd really enjoys the food. How do we know that? Because the next day, after it had happened, the crowd, they try to find Jesus because they're coming back for seconds, all right? The crowd is seeking out Jesus because they wanted more of the bread. And Jesus, uh, what he does when the crowd finds is, is he takes the physical bread that he fed them and he takes the meaning of him feeding them deeper than they had originally thought. All right, they seek out Jesus for more bread. But what does Jesus say? Jesus tells them, hey, the bread is deeper than simple hunger. He says, I'm not here just to give you bread to fill your bellies and sustain your physical life. But he tells the crowd, I am here to satisfy and quench the deepest desires in your soul. And I am here to give you eternal life. And Jesus tells the crowd, he says, I am the bread of heaven. Just as when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and God sent manna from heaven to sustain them. He says, now the Father has sent me the true bread of heaven. And I am the true bread, and I will give you eternal life. I will sustain you. 
And the crowd is offended by this statement because they're like, what do you mean you're the bread from heaven? Like, what do you mean you came from? We know who you are. We know your mama, your daddy. We know you came from Nazareth. What do you mean you're the bread from heaven? And then Jesus, at this point, makes a room-clearing statement, a hard statement. He doesn't explain it, but he tells them, he says, I am the bread of life. Eat me. (laughs) That's basically what he says. I mean, it's like, whoa. Uh, I mean, word for word. Look, in John 6, he says, truly, truly, I say say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, he has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. And with that statement, I mean, that is room clearing. People are like, okay, bro, like it was cool when you gave us food. We appreciate the bread, but now it's getting a little weird. I mean, it's confusing. It sounds like cannibalism. And the words of Jesus become a stumbling block to the crowd. They say, this man's crazy. We're out of here. And it's not just the crowd who leaves at this point. It's also many of the disciples. And and not the 12, but the other disciples who had been following Jesus. Jesus loses a big portion of his following. What was it that caused them to stumble? It's his words. Jesus' words have caused the people to fall away. But in this moment, Peter... Every now and again, Peter will have a moment of genius, and he has a moment of genius here. Jesus asked him, are you guys going to leave too? I know, I know these words are hard. And Jesus basically, or Peter basically says, Lord, the words you've spoken are hard. I don't completely understand them. But listen, we know the words you speak. We've seen what happened when you speak, Jesus. Jesus, when you speak, miracles happen. Jesus, when you speak, multiplication happens. He says, you have the words of life. You see, Jesus here, he tells us that his words are like manna that has fallen from heaven. His words are like bread. And if we will feed on his words, Jesus tells us his words are not just any words, but they are spirit words. If we consume them, if his word will abide in us, it will bring life to us. Yes, his words can be hard. His words can be challenging, but they are life-giving. In fact, if you go back to John chapter 1, Jesus is not just bringing words. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the divine revelation of God. Jesus came, and he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, not just to do miracles. It's not just about what Jesus did. It's also about what Jesus has said. It's about the words he has spoken. He says, the words I speak, what comes out of my mouth is spirit and life. And if you'll feed on my words, oh, it'll bring eternal life to you. You see, Jesus is the last great prophet of Israel. Jesus is the prophet of Israel, the one all the other prophets pointed to. You have to realize that we serve a God who speaks. This is really good news because God wants to communicate with us. Words bring revelation. Like, how can you know what's in a person's heart? How can you know what I'm thinking right now? How can you know what's on my mind? Because I'm telling you. I'm communicating my heart and my mind with you through my words. 
okay? God does this with us. God reveals himself. He reveals his heart. He reveals his mind to us through his word. And this is what I love. We didn't go looking for God's word, but God's word came to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in the Old Testament, we see this phrase over a hundred times in the Old Testament. And the word of the Lord came. And the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Gad or to Nathan. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. God speaks. And often when he speaks, how does he choose to speak? He speaks through what is known as prophets. Jesus is the last of the great prophets. What is a prophet? What were they called to do? I think Dr. Sandra Richter from Seedbed Theology does such a wonderful job explaining the role of the prophet. Okay, in the Old Testament, Israel was a theocracy, right? We're a democracy. Israel was a theocracy. It's where God was king. They were a kingdom where God literally ruled, okay? God was in the midst of his people. He was enthroned upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle or the temple. God was there. God was enthroned among them. God was king. And in God's staff, his royal staff, his royal administration, his cabinet, if you will, there are three different people in the Old Testament who are specifically anointed by God and set apart and empowered to administer the kingdom of God. The first is a king, all right? God is a king, but he also has vassal king. A vassal king is a king that owes allegiance to another king. So King David, King Solomon, King Asa, these were kings that got appointed and anointed. And the job of the king was to steward the people. They were the civic leaders that governed the everyday affairs of the people of the kingdom of God. That's the first one. The second person in God's economy anointed to do the work of God was the priest. The priest's job was to mediate between God and the people. The priest represented the people before God. So like if a priest brings a sacrifice uh, into the temple, that sacrifice was seen by God on behalf of all the people. So the priest represents the people before God, and they were in charge of the worship life of Israel. Now, the third person anointed by God, and perhaps the one with the most authority out of all of the three in the kingdom of the Old Testament was the prophet. The prophets represented God to his people. The prophet was God's spokesman. So the prophet you know, priests were born into this role, but not prophets. The prophet is appointed and called by God himself to be God's spokesperson to the people. And the prophet had tremendous power in Israel. The prophet gets to declare who's king. The prophet gets to declare who's no longer king. The prophet has more authority than anybody else in God's theocracy. The, like, who else could go into a king's court and publicly call him out and not die? Remember, the story of David and Bathsheba when David had sinned and stolen Uriah's wife Bathsheba and who goes into the king's court and points his finger at David and tells him he's done something wrong and tells him he needs to repent. It was Nathan the prophet. What does a prophet do often when a prophet is called? You can read it like in the call of Isaiah. 
uh, often what will happen is a prophet will get caught up into the court of heaven and he will hear the deliberations that God is having with his divine counsel. God is speaking about his divine counsel for his plans for the earth. And then the prophet who's been in God's presence and has heard God's words then comes and brings that word and that will to the people. He makes known what God's will is to the people. And this goes all the way back to Moses. If you remember, God comes down on Mount Sinai and the children of Israel are terrified. They're like, whoa, God is holy. God is, I mean, God is beyond, we're scared, Moses. How about this, Moses? How about you talk to God? You go up that mountain, Moses. You talk to God. You come down and tell us. (laughs) And that's really the role the prophet plays in Israel. He carries the nation forward. He's leading and guiding. He's speaking the word of the Lord to them, even when it's unwanted. This is how God would speak was through his prophet. And if you look at Deuteronomy 18, God tells of a day when there will be the final prophet. There is a prophecy in Deuteronomy 18 that's really about Jesus. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command, and whoever will not listen to my words, he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. This is Israel's prophet, really, that they're all uh, looking for, and some even say Jesus is that prophet, in which I say that too. And so Jesus comes along, and he's really the last of the great prophets. Jesus stands downstream from Abraham and Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and Daniel. And why has Jesus come? He has come to give us the words of God, and we must listen to him. Jesus does not just reveal the word of the Lord to us like other prophets. But actually, Jesus is also the source of this revelation. All the other prophets point to him as the last prophet. And this is the recognition that Jesus is the source of the word. You see, all other prophets had been revealing something about God from the beginning. They all had pieces of a puzzle, right? Moses had the piece that God was the creator God, a covenant-making God, a sanctifying God. Joshua reveals that God is a conquering God. Isaiah has a piece of the puzzle that he's the prince of peace. Jesus would be a suffering servant, take on the iniquity of his people. Daniel had the peace that he was the ancient of days, the everlasting God. Ezekiel revealed that he came to make dead, dried up, dusty bones live again. They all had these pieces of a puzzle. And when you put all the pieces together and you get the full revelation. What you get is the full revelation of Jesus himself. And so now the one speaking to us today is Jesus, the son of God. Jesus is a prophet. And I think John is showing us how Jesus is a prophet, not just any prophet, the prophet. He, he always talks about how Jesus is the one from heaven. You see, Jesus is an eyewitness from heaven. He is an agent of God. He is sent by the Father to give witness of what he has heard and seen 
from his Father in heaven. Sixteen times in the gospel, Jesus is said to have been sent by God. Jesus often says of his Father in heaven, he is the one who sent me. I, I, came not to, I, I came not on my own, but I came in the name of the Father, and I seek his glory. Jesus completes the works of the one who sent him and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. If you believe in me, believe in the Father. The words of Jesus, what he speaks, they come from the Father. They are empowered by the Spirit, and they give eternal life. Gary Burge says it like this. He says, the spirit Jesus possesses and the spirit he can offer are the words that he speaks. Jesus, as the Logos, the word, becomes one with his mission and presents himself in the words that he offers. The activity of the spirit's power is found in the presence of the word in the believer. And this entire process brings life. So Jesus, as the prophet of God, sent from God, he's anointed to speak the words of God. And the words of God reveal God. They are spirit words. Then according to John 14, the spirit words that were spoken by Jesus, the Holy Spirit will then bring those to our remembrance and he will guide us into further understanding and revelation of these words. You see, it's the Spirit of God. Jesus says it's the Spirit of God that gives life. Well, how do we receive the Spirit of God? How do we take in the Spirit of God? One of the ways that we receive the Spirit of God, one of the ways, one of the mediums or vehicles that we receive the, word of, the, the Spirit of God is through the Word of God. When you take in God's Word and you believe it in faith, it's a medium of receiving the Spirit of God. When you feed on God's Word, what are you doing? You're feeding your spirit. And I was trying to think of a way to put it. And uh, I was working on my message. And as I was working on my message, I was sitting on my kitchen counter. And I saw a, uh, a banana sitting there. And I thought, you know what? When you eat a banana, you're not just eating a banana. But the banana contains nutrients that your body needs. A banana contains vitamin B6, fiber, potassium, magnesium, vitamin C, manganese. These are nutrients within the banana that give your body what it needs. And just like that, the words of Christ, when received in faith, contain the Spirit of God. The Spirit is eternal life. They are life and they are spirit. And so I'm just here today to remind you of the importance of taking in the Word of God and feeding on it and hearing God's voice through His words because the Holy Spirit will take these words and bring sustaining nutrients to your soul. And today I'm actually going to invite a great friend and member of our church to come into. he's going to offer a, a, a tool today because I don't want to just tell you to read your Bible because it's good for you to do it. I mean, that's great. But actually, I want to give you a tool today. I want to put something in your hands that you can take home and apply and that you can learn to hear God's voice. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had a tool that could teach you 
to hear God's voice through the word, the written word, and that it would be like nutrients to your soul and that it would feed your soul. And so I'm going to invite, uh, his name's Dr. Jeremy Stevens. He has a PhD from Columbia. Incredible. He's been teaching our young people this whole summer about something called Lectio Divina. It's an ancient practice of reading the Bible and meditating on the scriptures and hearing God's voice through the scriptures. And these scriptures are spirit and life. If you can learn to do this, if you can take this tool today and apply it to your life, I'm telling you, it will forever change your walk with God. It will fill your soul with the goodness and the things of God. So please uh, make welcome my friend, Dr. Jeremy Stevens, as he comes. In fitting with the theme for this sermon, Chad has asked me to lead us in a time of scriptural meditation called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is Latin for divine reading. It's been practiced for hundreds of years and has been embraced by a variety of Christian denominations and traditions. In Lectio Divina, we repeatedly read or listen to a short passage of scripture and ask God to speak to us through his word. This approach encourages scriptural engagement with the heart, not just the mind. The point isn't to analyze a passage or to do a Bible study. The point is to meditate on the word of God, not to empty our minds, but to fill our minds with God's word. And because we serve a living God, we also invite him to speak to us through his word. Practicing Lectio Divina is simple once you become familiar with the pattern of listening and praying. All you will need to do today is to open your heart to God and follow along as I give you some instructions. But first, I want to give you a few important pointers. The first pointer is that your focus should be on listening. Listen to the scripture and listen for God. I recently asked our Zeal youth interns how they knew they were in the presence of God or how they heard from God. And some of them said, um, I, I feel something physically different. Uh, one of them said, I, words or phrases come into my mind that I know didn't come from me. And another said, I just have a feeling of profound peace. And I think those are great answers. But whether you feel anything or don't, um, just be open to listening to God. Uh, the second pointer is that God might show you something that you would not expect based on the literal meaning of the passage. Remember, we aren't doing a Bible study or interpreting, we're meditating. So let God engage your imagination and be confident that the Holy Spirit will never contradict what he's already said in Scripture. The final pointer is that you haven't failed if you find this difficult or if you feel like you don't hear anything. The only ways to fail at prayerful meditation on God's word are either not to do it or to do it with evil intentions, right? So just by coming to God with an open heart and sincerely, you are already, I believe, God will honor that and it will work, right? So let's begin. A time of Lectio Divina always starts with quieting our hearts and minds, inviting God to speak to us. So find a comfortable position and set your mind on him pray that God would help you to focus and that he would speak to you. And I'll begin by praying as in. So, Lord, we pray that we would hear your voice and let our ears be open.
Now, as I read our passage for today, listen for any words or phrases that stand out. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right. And as I read the passage once more, listen again for anything that stands out. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. All right, as I, can, as I read the passage a final time, continue to listen for anything that stands out. And once I finish, ask God how what you noticed applies to your life. And let God engage your mind and imagination as you continue in prayer. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now I invite you to pray quietly based on what you've heard and to sit and listen. So listen for an invitation from God to make a change in your life, to enter more into his truth, or to receive something from him. Now for this final portion of Lectio Divina, pray that you will respond appropriately to anything you've heard. You may want to consider journaling or meditating on this scripture throughout the day and spend this time reflecting and thanking God.
Father, we thank you that you give good gifts to your children. And Jesus, we thank you for your words that are spirit and life. Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you that you speak those words to our spirits and you empower us to follow our word. You're the spirit of truth, and we know that everything that you speak is true. So thank you, God, for giving us the words of eternal life. Come on, wasn't that an awesome tool that we can all take and use today? And um, I just want to encourage you. If I could encourage you to do one thing, it would be to do what Jeremy talked about. Taking a scripture, pausing, reflecting, and 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 asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you from it and yielding to the Spirit what you have just learned. It, this is the thing that has changed my life, meditating on the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit speaking to me through those Scriptures. It's the number one thing I believe helps shape and change people. Why? Because Jesus said His words are spirit and life. And when the Spirit of God illuminates this text, it will change your life. All of the people who are the great saints of old, I guarantee you they have in common that they fed themselves on the word of Christ and the word of Christ dwelled richly within them and they were filled with the spirit of God. And so that's what we're called to do. We're a church strong in spirit and grounded in the word. And so I challenge you this week, take what you've learned, take this tool and use it to grow and to hear the voice of the Lord. We'll see you soon.